All right, I have started recording. Um, <clears throat> got my beer. All right. Would this be a bad time to talk about how I bugged the Watergate Hotel? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. What's the statute of limitations on that? Oh, don't don't worry about it. <laughs> okay, cool. Everyone involved is dead. <laughs> I feel like the, I feel like if at this point, like, you choose to discuss anything that you did that you don't want people knowing about at the Watergate Hotel, you're just an idiot. Because, like, that's literally what that place is famous for. Yeah. It's the reason every, like, any sort of, like, media coverage is this gate. Like, you, you made a whole thing about it. Uh-huh. What's, what's, what was the most annoying gate? Was Deflate Gate the Deflate worst? Gate has to be the worst one. That's got to be the worst. Well, Spot- if you're talking about the most annoying moniker than Deflate Gate, uh, if you're talking about the most annoying thing termed Gate, I, I think you got to give it to Gamergate. Well, yeah, Gamergate, because I mean nobody was even entirely clear on what the scandal was even supposed to be. You know, I think no, and it was all, it was all of the worst people from the internet getting involved too. Just every incel neckbeard living in his mom's basement you could possibly imagine, and just. Those people alone being involved made me not want to hear anything about it ever again. Yeah. The worst part about Deflate Gate was that the Colts got the shit blown out of them because of that game. And then there was a microscope on how bad the Colts were in that game. And the only reason that it came out is because the Colts got a last minute interception. And the middle linebacker who caught it was like, ball seemed kind of squishy. That's all the fuck he said. I I think probably. (laughs) Which might just have been the results of the concussion he just got. I think the lamest one was actually Spygate because, like, yeah, we know spying. That's the whole thing that's implied by having Gate. It's redundant. Like, if yeah. you have Gate, it, it's implied that espionage is involved. Also, spying, for you to term it that, basically implies a scandal. Like, it implies that you're doing something untoward. Yeah. So putting gate on it, it yeah. you could have either called it spy or even just gate, and it would have been yeah. the exact same thing. At that point, the spy gate should have been not that they were spying, but that they got caught spying instead. They were shitty spies at that point. Like you should have been better about being shitty. Well, we any... should probably start the fucking episode before we, you know what? Before I, we all lose track. I, I, I think this banter has been great for nothing. <laughs> Well, that's not necessarily true because uh, welcome everybody uh, to episode six <laughs> of Here's a Guy. Um, and yeah, for... believe it or not, we weren't planning oh. on putting that uh, on record. That was just us. You know, that was just Manny being Manny over here. You know, okay, the... this got live from Saturday Night on my own fucking podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um. So welcome everybody to episode six. Um. I hopefully have fixed my audio this time. So, um. The one particular friend who was blowing me up on Discord right before this about how <laughs> shitty my audio was can shut the fuck up um, and leave me alone. Um, but you were right, so thank you very much. Um, <laughs> we uh, we are so excited to be back here. Um, it was a fun little run of theme episodes that we had. We're back to our usual chaos this week. And um, as Cody alluded to on Twitter before this, uh, chaos is the optimal word for this particular episode. We got some real freaks lined up, um, and uh, we're so excited. So let me go ahead and uh, introduce uh, – uh, well, I'm Alex. I should say that part first. Now let me go ahead and introduce the the two other people that you've heard uh, yammering on for several minutes now. Uh, first, my uh, my brother Cody. How are you doing, Cody? 
Oh, just great. Everybody's uh, a good time has been had by all so far. So episode hasn't totally gone down in flames yet. You'll have to wait a good five minutes for that. Right. Um, We're also joined by joining us live from Indianapolis, Jack. I'm doing great. I made sure to get drunk. I I didn't ask you how you were doing. (laughs) Shit, I'll I'll, I'll be seen and not heard. I mean, you did just record a belch cast, so... (laughs) I did. I'm surprised you're sitting upright right now. Yeah, that that was my lead-in, is I made sure to get drunk before the episodes and not during it, so I should be more coherent by the time I have to speak this time. Well, that yeah, that's your, never had your any... Plan is to sober, your plan is to sober up before we get to you? Yes. Well, you getting hammered has never okay. had an adverse effect on an episode before. Um, anyway, sorry, I was, that was rude. Jack, how are you doing? I'm doing it doesn't good. matter how you're doing! That was, was beautiful. beautiful. And that I is... Uh, yeah. And so that's the first wrestling reference of the episode. And the um, only wrestling is, reference. Uh... We don't talk about wrestling here. Until later <laughs> in the episode when we will talk about wrestling. So yeah. uh, every sounds like everybody's doing great. Um, we were talking before the show started. Um, it is November now. So that's kind of neat. Um, we're thinking not. So um, we're talking about shows that we've been to, as we often do. Um, and a couple... November is always, and I don't know why this is, but November is always like a good, like tour season. It seems like there's always good shows in November. Um, like there's two on the same day here in St. Louis on Saturday. I'm probably not going to get to go to either of them, um, unfortunately. But there, there's always good shows rolling through the Midwest um, through November. But a couple of them came up um, b- because for us personally, we're more infamous than. Um, <laughs> Yeah. and they're they're both good shows is the thing um so one we we meant you know we've mentioned this we've at least referenced kind of this happening on the show a couple times already so we figured we should probably go ahead and tell you all the story of jack's incident at the show we went to uh at the pageant in november of 2012 jack do you want to tell your because i observed pretty much all of this as well um like we yeah, reference once Jack gets done with his version, let me tell you about the story from my perspective. And I because will as well. That was, yeah, that's that's also a pretty interesting lens to view this through. <laughs> yeah, as my uh, impartial narrator, I will tell you the exact truth, and then you can fact check it afterwards. So we we all went to a show back in 2012 in November, as we've already established. Uh, the show was stacked as shit. Uh, honestly, a lot of like our favorite bands at the time were playing. It was at the top, Asking Alexandria, As I Lay Dying, Attila, Memphis Mayfire, Icy Stars. It's like a really good like metalcore, like like kind of like heavy, like fun show. And that was, was still in fun. like the that was still in like the metalcore heyday from like right around the turn of that decade. Right, Asking Alexandria wasn't played out by then. They were still putting out a couple good songs and albums. Yeah. I was gonna say they were still listenable. And this this show is back. The show is at the the pageant in St. Louis, which is a, a pretty iconic local, like small to medium sized venue. Shout out the pageant! That place is yeah. awesome. Absolutely, and also my friend Robert, who got married at the pageant. Adam so, Robert. So I'm not I'm not a local to the St. Louis scene. I'm not really as familiar. So this is my first show at the pageant, and we're having fun, uh, moshing, crowd surfing, doing all the things that you do at these kind of shows. And the crowd has been rambunctious, but within the realm of any crowd you've ever seen at one of these kind of shows. Like, everyone's kind of moving. 
Uh, bodies are flying. Everyone's respectful, picking each other up. But there's this guy kind of in the middle of the pit being a douche that I've noticed. And, like, it hasn't really been an issue until the headliner comes on, which is Ask Alexandria. And we're, like, seven songs into the headliner of what I think was, like, a 15-song, like, set. Like, they, they played a good headliner's, like, hour and a half. And I noticed somebody crowd surfing. And this guy who's been kind of a dick the entire time, I noticed him grabbing, like, from the ankle, one of the crowd surfers. And it's, like, yanking down on this, like, small woman with all of his weight. And I was just like, well, that doesn't seem right. This guy seems like kind of a douchebag. So I went to go push him, completely sober. And at, in the middle of like pushing out my entire arms, and I fully committed to shoving my body weight into the suit to tell him to fuck off, I noticed my right hand, as it hits his chest, his chest says the word security. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and I give this suit, and I'm like 130 pounds, but I give him enough of my weight that, like, I drive him off of the person who's essentially being dragged down like a, a zombie horror flick where, like, she's getting mauled into the pit of this dude. So she gets away, and then the dude kind of jumps back up and starts getting in my face. And at this point, I realize that I'm too far gone. I'm already getting kicked out of the venue. So I'm committing to the bit. And I just kind of, like, get in his face, and I'm just telling him to fuck off and that he's a piece of shit. And, and by this point, Alex, who's been with me, like, kind of, like, in the middle of the crowd, kind of looks over and notices that my tall, lanky presence has disappeared. And he sees me in a shouting match with this security guard. And he's like, well, Jack John's getting thrown out. I should try to help him. <laughs> and as Alex is pulling me away, I'm still, like, I'm committing to this. I know I'm gone. This dude's not going to let it go. So I'm telling him to fuck off as Alex is doing, like, the bro, it's not worth it, bro, it's not worth it. Like, Alex is trying to bro de-escalate and i'm just not letting him do it it's so a really good thing that i wasn't up there at that point because like it literally would have been alex dressed as an angel and then me dressed as a devil like alex like it's not worth it me like punch him in the throat yeah, just it, right in the throat he won't see it coming don't listen to him it is worth it <laughs> she won't hate him probably would have been this guy but so so the guy's like, that's it, fuck it, you're gone. And he grabs me and he starts to drag me out. And my favorite part of this story is I've decided at this point, all right, this guy was a piece of shit to me. I'm going to be a piece of shit to him. And granted, I was only like 135 pounds at this time in my life. But I limp sack potatoed my entire body weight and I made him physically drag <laughs> yeah. me out of the venue. You played possum. Oh my God, I didn't know that part. Yeah, no, I dead weighted that motherfucker. I was like, you're going to drag me out of this venue. This is the most petulant thing I've ever heard in my life. So that's so a five-year-old thing to do. So he throws me out, and like I'm just like, there's a cop just like standing outside, just kind of like doing off-duty off-duty cop shit. And he's just like, "Hey, did you get thrown out?" And I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "All right, you can't go back in, but I'm not gonna do anything because I don't give a shit." <laughs> so I just hung out with an off-duty cop for like 30 minutes while you guys finished the fucking set. There's nothing illegal about getting kicked out of a out of a venue like the cops not right. gonna kick you out of outside where would you go <laughs> right but like the dude like brought me to the cop and the cop was like i don't give a shit so yeah you already dealt with this he's outside what do you want me to do all right so my perspective on this um yeah it is i think it was actually even a little bit later in the set than you say it was pretty close to the end of the show um so a little bit of background the way the pageant is set up the tickets are, are all general admission except like they have like an upper level i think you got to buy tickets for but 
the lower level is all general admission, but it's broken up into there's a like floor pit, and then there's a slightly elevated level with like some railing behind it, and it can be we were down in the pit. Um, That's where like the bar is at, and everything is, yeah. is back there on that second tier. So we were down there in the pit, and they always have like at least one security guy posted up like down there, because like it would be hard to get there otherwise if if like a fight broke out. This guy, this little shit, he was like. He, he was a manlet to start with, um, which like, look, if you're a short king, that's okay. But um, if you're a, if you're an if you act like an asshole and you have little man syndrome, I'm going to call you a manlet. And he just was. He was like five. This foot... dude. I mean, he had long hair and a beard and yeah. he was kind of stocky. He looked like a goddamn dwarf from Lord of the Rings. Yeah, he was just Gimli. Yeah, yeah you got thrown out by Gimli. He just seemed like a like a, you know, pathetic you know, old guy. Um, wasn't it, I was not a huge fan of him to begin, begin with, but like, you know, it was easy to ignore him. Um, and yeah, I see what I see is Jack, like trying to rectify, like try to help somebody. That's what it looked like. And the security guard gets up in his grill and I can just tell this guy's a prick. And so I go and I just, my thought is the only hope in this is just going to be to pull Jack away and get him elsewhere. So that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to like physically like get him out of this um, so that this guy will just let it go and we can finish the show. Unfortunately, this guy was having none of it. I think some of it was because, you know, on top of being a, a prick, I think he was also stupid because and I some of the context after this, I think he interpreted this as I don't know that he understood that you and I were together. Yeah. I think he thought that I was like coming in and like was on his side and was, and was also like trying to get up in your business because when he pulled you out of there, first, let me say your, your anecdote about dead waiting him. That is not exaggerated in the slightest because I caught the, cause like when he hauls him out, I like run after them and I see the tail end of it. And it, it's so much, it's so fun. Like I, I think of the scene from Jackass, the movie where Johnny Knoxville's dresses, the old man. And he's like, um, he's like making them like drag him out of this convenience store. That's what it was like. Um, help help i'm being repressed and i think i don't step outside i think like i it was cold so i think i toss you my keys or something yeah. in case you want to get in the car it's, it's the end of november and i'm just like there in like a t-shirt and i'm just like all right and so I, I go back in and the reason why i think this guy thought that was when i see him he sees me getting he smiles and he gives me a big thumbs up and i tell him to go fuck himself um i don't know that he heard me but I, you know, I I probably should have just laid into him because he he completely mismanaged that situation. Yeah. Um. So anyway, not a huge fan of that guy, but it was almost the end of the show, so it was not a huge deal. Um. But it was just like, God damn it, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> so here's how this went down from my perspective. So, um, oh. asking Alexandria starts. My favorite asking Alexandria song is played like second. Um. That would be closure at this point in time yeah so i hop in the pit i'm going hard so about three or four songs later i'm like okay i'm tired i'm gonna need water before we leave if i wait till the end of the set there's gonna be like 500 people at the bar also my favorite band of the night has already played so i'm gonna hop out go get some water and try and sneak my way back in to the to the pit later so i do that i'm standing up there i'm drinking the water and I had, I guess I'd been standing there for a while because I did have to wait quite a bit at the bar even then. But Alex comes up to me out of absolutely nowhere 
Well, I, my, like my thought just... was like, I probably should tell you what's going on. I will check the bar because that's probably where you are. The, uh, yeah, the word uh, that I would use to describe the look on your face and the tone of your voice is incredulous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's you you the... looked like you, you just, you had no idea what was going on. You went, Jack John just got kicked out. And I was like, for, for fucking what? Like, how do you get kicked out of the show? And you kind of explained it to me, and um, I gave you a big old high five when we got back <laughs> outside uh, after I finished laughing my way through the rest of the set. So that's uh, that's the story from my perspective. A little bit yeah. more brief, but still very funny. It's legit one of my favorite concert stories. It's like, yeah, I got thrown out completely sober for fighting security. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it didn't necessarily need to involve me at all. Fighting security sober is a rare feat. And yeah. it's also it's... even more rare when you're in the right, which I still yeah. think I was. Absolutely. I feel like fighting security sober, you're in the right more often than fighting security drunk. I feel like if you're in a fist fight with security drunk, you are almost never on the right side of the argument. <laughs> My most distinct memory is going to push this dude and literally my hand hitting his chest and seeing security right as my hand hits it and going, I have fucked up now. It's like a scene from a movie. It was slow motion for that instant alone. And everything else was just, oh, we're going out now. So is that the only like altercation you've ever, like real altercation you've ever had at a, at a show? That's the only one that I've ever had. So I, I can think of two such one was an altercation, but almost was one was like kind of bordering on it. The first one I was in high school, actually, like I like right before I graduated high school, me and a few friends went to St. Louis to a tiny, tiny little venue called FUBAR. Um, and like it's so it's a small venue and it's so poorly ventilated. There are some crazy shows there, but it gets very heated and very tense and yeah, there was a pit, and there's just one dude who had some problem and would just, like, run across the pit and just jump onto the people at the front of it. And then when they'd turn around, he would, like, give them the whole, like, what, what thing? And he just did it over and over. And my friends were standing there. I'm like, if this guy, like, jumps on one of my friends, I'm swinging on him. Everyone's sick. Everyone will back me up. And he did. And yeah, I just took one swing on him and he turned around and looked at me and I gave him the same thing. Like, what up? And he just left. And someone told me that that later on he went to like the back and started like trying to like fight people in the back and got thrown out. So um, that was one of my mo two moments of heroism. And actually, I've had there was one where I was at a show seeing Taking Back Sunday in a really small venue um, and I met up with a couple of friends, both of whom are women, one of whom um, they're both friends of mine, one of whom also importantly was the younger sister of one of my like lifelong, really close friends. So I felt like an extra obligation. And this one dude was like just creeping on her hard and like went up and like tried to grab her waist. And I just had to push him away. I'm like, no, 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 no. But he, and he like accepted his fate and just left. Yeah. Um, but then one that Cody can remember. Um, oh, yeah. Up until the year 2018, we had never seen Simple Plan, and you know, randomly we've seen them like three times since then. The second of which was a show we went to at Pops Nightclub over in Sauge, Illinois. Um, Shout known... out Pops. Dope-ass venue. Oh, yeah. yeah, Pops is known for a minor league baseball stadium, this venue, and the three strip clubs that surround it. That's what uh, Sauge is known for. And 
we went to a, a show with a bunch of pop punk bands that Simple Plan was headlining. Um, we were mainly there for the undercard, but Simple Plan's cool, so we stuck around. Um, so we were there, and it was like a, this mix of like people like our age, like like old school, like like pop punk heads, and like young like young kids because you know they like the bands as well. Yeah. And so I was a kid permeates through all generations. I get it. Absolutely. So Cody and I are in about the middle of the crowd, just having a good time, chilling. It was a fun show. Um, yeah, we we're just chilling, having a good time, and um, I see there's there's these like three kids in front of us who I think were like my estimation were like young college age, like like nineteen twenty year old, like nineteen, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's a guy and his girlfriend and this little shrimpy guy. And the guy kept leaving to like go get waters and stuff, and just I I was not a this guy I think really didn't do a very good job because like they they clearly what I could tell was this little shrimpy guy they both knew him and he was a huge pain in their ass and he seemed like a total creep because like while they're playing he is like turning around and like singing like to the girl and like lightly touching her and stuff and I think I actually say to Cody like it because I'm watching this whole situation, clearly boyfriend is not doing anything about this. Yeah. And I actually say to you something along the lines of like, wasn't it like, if he goes over the line, I'm doing something. Um, well, yeah, I think we were both like, uh, this, this guy might have to get his ass beat. <laughs> well, like, yeah. And I knew you'd, you'd back me up. Not that, I mean, the kid sure. was like half our size. Um, yeah, but I just, you know, I, wouldn't I have mattered much. I just feel really strongly about like, you know, like, every scene needs to do a better job of making it like a good place for women to be. And yeah. I just, that shit just pisses me off. So, but especially the pop punk scene, yes. because there's a history with that. Absolutely. Oh, there's we a don't long, need, we don't need gross it. history. Yeah. We don't, there is no need to create more negative stereotypes. So everyone just keep your hands and all other appendages to yourself, regardless of where you are would be my recommendation. Yeah. It's just a general good rule of thumb. People let a lot of stuff go they shouldn't let go. And so finally, the moment happens. He turns around and just kisses her right on the mouth. He just right. And I just, I grab this dude by the shirt, push him away. And I say, don't fucking do that. Don't fucking kiss girls without their consent. And amazingly, this kid starts to mouth back because Cody is now also getting involved. And what's he saying? Like, do you want to go outside? Do you want to get your ass kicked? When there are two men twice his size, and I don't even know what to say. I wasn't expecting him to do that because, like, if you actually were to it, – it's not like, you know, I am some amazing fighter, but, yeah. like – You're it, a tall, lanky dude. You got reach. You can kick his ass. Well, and also, like, my huge brother's here next to me, too. Yes. Like also, you've got a gorilla behind you. It's two to it's two on one, and both of us are bigger than you. <laughs> um, I like a lot. Yeah, and it was just this little turd, and he just he wouldn't let go. And I think finally, how it resolved, like because at a certain point, people around us like start getting mad at us because they're like, they're all just like, can you both just shut the fuck up? Um, I think finally, what happens if I remember right, Cody like picks him up. And just puts him at the back of the audience and just comes back. Yeah. And he never well, he, he never comes he back. Started kind of walking that way. I started walking toward him and I said something along the lines of, You need to not be here right now. Yeah. And he eventually just kind of threw up his hands and left. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah, we watched the rest of Simple Plan set and had a good time. And I only saw him once and it was like when he was leaving by himself. So 
Well, also we kind of made some we kind of made some new friends with that couple because yeah, what the they ex- dude was super appreciative. Yeah, and, and I as much was, as he I he was also I don't think it I think it was his first pop punk show and he was just having the fucking time of his life also. So yeah, and they a good they like moment. he wrote out like something on the notes app and showed it to me and it, it was basically exactly what I said. They said like because he like when I first stepped in he was there he was trying to tell me like dude he's not worth it. Um, like that exact same thing. He wrote me like a note out in his notes app and said, um, like this kid, like we know him, he's a total creep. Um, so thanks anyway. Um, so yeah, that's just goes to show. I, you know, obviously don't go out trying to seek problems at shows, but, um, that said, if you see bullshit, like the things that we have all just talked about, you know, don't don't be afraid to you know step in and do what's right, even if you got to deal with I a, mean, a shit ass security even, guard or. Even if you know, even if you, sometimes all it takes is just saying something loud enough for the people around you to hear. Yeah. And yeah. If whoever's doing whatever is being a big enough asshole, there will be people who will jump in and and back you up if necessary. Like, right. There are enough people that care about about doing the right thing in that kind of context. And some of you will get thrown out of venues that 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 might happen, <laughs> but uh, it's generally for the greater good. Oh wait, I, right. I I just thought of another. This is a real quick one. Remember Riot Fest 2019 when we were waiting for Blink and they were like these like frat dudes who were just literally like charging violently <laughs> through the audience, and there was this other huge guy next to us, and we saw he would just started like swinging on people as they went by. So we had some fun with like people who were like. <laughs> It's one thing if you want to like try and work your way up to the front and see if you have any success. They were literally like violently charging through the crowd, yeah. and so we were just like swinging elbows at them and stuff. Like they paid for it, you know. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's the kind of shows we go to. And um, uh-huh. and uh, speaking of shows, what a great show we have for all of you. Um, and uh, as fun as it was to reminisce, um, that's not why we're here. We're here as always, as every week, to talk about some guys and uh we just made guys out of ourselves through those stories but we got some other even bigger freaks lined up this week um yeah this is uh this is gonna be kind of a wild one we're a little bit all over the place in terms of the spectrum of guys we really are we are we are you know going back into chaos mode in full force um so uh yeah let's get to the segment um jack you want to hit us with that uh the guys Right on. It's been in a different. It's been in a different key every time. And I couldn't tell you which one it is. You know, it started out as a bit. I'm starting to actually enjoy it. So there you, you know go. What? A good segue. We'll, just, we'll throw some. We'll throw some music behind it, and uh, we'll just keep it. We'll just put some like light MIDI behind it, so it sounds even shittier. It's perfect. So the thing is, because of my job, I actually have access to production music, <laughs> and it's hilarious. It is the most generic milk milk toast ass shit you could possibly imagine. It is Hell like yeah. it, it is absolutely hysterical to sit down and listen to that for a while. Well, um, let's get into it. Let's start the circus off. First up, this first up. Oh my god! First, Jesus. hell, that was something. Uh, first up this week, we have Cody. Cody, who are we talking about this week? Who's your guy? So, we're talking about a man named Charles Tome, T-O-M-B-E. I think Tome is how you say it. That's how I'm going to say it. Um, and if you're a relative of this guy and want to complain, I guess, you know, hit us in the Gmail. But I don't know why you would admit that about yourself. <laughs> because this guy, 
is uh, more infamous than famous. He is the infamous uh, goat marriage man. So this is a man who, through a series of really, really bad choices, wound up being forcibly married to a goat in South Sudan. Which sounds like the start of a really horrible sitcom, but no, this yeah, actually it, happened. If you want to talk about a, a, a freeze frame record scratch, you may be wondering how I got here moment. It is getting married <laughs> to a goat in South Sudan. I was literally yeah. picturing like an Adam Sandler fucking Rob Schneider movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this, this really, you are not far off. This whole story is very Adam Sandler-y. So, hop in the Wayback Machine. Take yourself to the South Sudan, which is a part of Pakistan, actually. In 2006, our boy Charles Tome here has a bit too much to drink, and he gets caught by a farmer engaging in carnal relations with said farmer's goat. Yeah. Now, I just want you to imagine that you're a farmer in South Sudan in 2006. Uh-huh. You're tired. It's the middle of the night. You've had a long, full day tending your field of, I'm guessing, rocks. And you're woken up in the middle of the night by a strange noise. You have to drag your ass off the stone you sleep on and go out in the barn. And you find some drunk idiot fucking your goat. Not again. He, <laughs> ima- I imagine in this moment, he's just begging God to kill him. he has had enough and honestly like has there ever been a moment in history where there were two people who wanted to die more collectively like you're the farmer who just got woken up at the ass crack of midnight to find this guy banging your goat (laughs) or you're the drunk guy who got caught banging a goat i I mean Imagine the farmer's always like, man, I hope no one ever fucks my daughter and I find it. And he's like, oh, but wait, this gets worse, actually. That's a real, yeah, monkey's paw situation. So the farmer has had enough. I mean, he is exasperated as hell. And let me say about this village in South Sudan, there were some fucking jokesters here. (laughs) Everyone gets real, real jokey with this. So the farmer subdues this guy and ties him up. Again, all this time, I imagine thinking, what has my life become? What did I deserve to to put me in this position at this point in my life? So the farmer, again, he's fed up, and he gets an idea. Instead of calling the police, he goes to the village elders, and he says, look, if he's going to use my goat as a wife, let him pay me the dowry. And, you know, make it actually his wife. If so, that's what you're going to do, then we're going to do this nice and legal-like. That's so, a big thinker here. So if, if you recall back to episode one and John Leonard, the Pepsi points guy, this guy basically <laughs> is the South Sudanese John Leonard. He, he, see, he sees an yeah, opportunity he's, and he just takes it. He's, he's 5G chess in this shit. I love it already. So, yeah, he goes to the village elders and is like, I want my fucking money. You're going to make this guy marry my goat. <laughs> and the elders were like, yeah, that sounds like a laugh. Why not? Let's fucking do it. Have we considered, sure. have we considered, because I'd never thought about this before. Have we considered that like the South Sudanese are just like the funniest people on the planet? I'm starting I don't know. to think that. I am starting to think that. In our small sample size, it's, it's, it's looking that way. Yeah. 
Like one but, dude yeah, busts the, the ghost, the other are hilarious. Like this is this is a win-win. The yeah, the elders are like, yeah, sure, we will make him marry a goat. And the reason on paper, what they said was they did this to shame him, because we're going to like announce to the community that you are marrying this goat, and we're going to tell him why. So, you know, this is this is a shame thing. But at the same time, they're still having a blast with this. They named the goat Rose. Not the oh. farmer. The village elders <laughs> named the goat. Rose. <laughs> That's such a good name for yeah. a goat. Rose the goat. So he make they make him pay the dowry, which comes to about $50 US. Half up front, half after the ceremony. The ceremony is performed by elders. So this guy, if you believe in that particular part of their culture, this guy's married to this fucking goat. Now, I, I'm sure it's questionable as to how well that marriage would hold up under law. Like, if he went and got a lawyer and tried to get it annulled, um, that would probably be the, the worst day of that lawyer's life, the day that Charles Stone walks in there. Yeah, let me just say, um, I have had some very, very bad days as a lawyer, I have not quite had that. I've not had a goat fucker walk into my office before. That would be new. Well, not that you, you, not that you, you know you, of. You have been on a self-identified goat fucker. That's correct. No known goat fuckers have ever walked into my office. So, again, now, the elders said from the start this was to shame him, but I realize when I'm researching this, if you're a guy who fucks goats... Doesn't that kind of give you license to keep fucking goats? <laughs> like, what's it? What's he gonna say if the elders catch him fucking that goat again? Like, you you made me marry her. You kind of yeah. painted me into. A, it's not like I can ever get with a woman again. You've kind of painted me into a corner because now I'm just known as the guy who fucked the goat. Yeah, they basically were like, all right, you fucked it once, you fuck it for life now. <laughs> yeah, I I feel like that that really probably backfired because i imagine I, he was banging that goat for a while i can i can imagine a chess match in court where he said he comes up with a scheme where he's like well if i can marry a goat i'm just gonna fuck every goat and i'll have all the goats and i'll just be a rich goat farmer but then he gets bested because they say no no we draw the line at polygamy <laughs> this is not a mormon goat goat herd <laughs> look, look this goat has to die before you can go to another goat or the goat has to sign off on So, after the quote-unquote marriage ceremony, everyone in town is just pissing themselves laughing at this point. Like, it, I, I'm imagine did they, did if they that put, had happened. Did they put Rose in a dress? I don't know. Oh, God, I, I hope, hope so. <laughs> Look, you, you can put so. a goat in lipstick, but <laughs> Look, you can't make it drink. It, I don't know. It's okay to laugh at this. Bestiality is in the Bible. That's true. <laughs> Uh, so, our, our great, uh, great uh, speaker Trevor Noah, uh, Trevor Moore once said, uh, "The Lord opened up the mouth of an ass, and if that's not anal play, I don't know what it is." Uh-huh. R.I.P. Trevor Moore. Also, R.I.P. Norm. R.I.P. Trevor. Yes. Yeah, and Norm, yeah. and everybody. Um. Yeah. So, the whole town thinks this is hilarious. You know, they're they're making all the normal jokes, like, "Oh, you guys gonna have kids? If you do, you gotta hire a nanny." <laughs> So, you know, the, the normal goat puns. That's some, yada, yada, yeah, yada. that's so good. 
That's fun. So, understandably, not much more is heard from Charles Tome for a couple years because... I mean, understandable. I would try and stay out of the news, too, if the last time I made it was for banging a goat. I I would probably try and lie low. Um, he seems to have stayed out of trouble for the most part. I would imagine he quit drinking, although that's not... <laughs> but, like... I would drink that's more. Gotta, that's got to be better than AA. <laughs> like, instead of rehab, just have the entire town know you got caught screwing a goat. He's in, he's in GA. I would never touch a drop again. He's in GA, Goat yeah. Fuckers Anonymous. That is a sad, sad church basement. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, really, honestly, that would be kind of a cool rehab service, though, instead of, um, like, forcibly making you stop. Just tell everyone about the worst thing you ever did when you were drunk. Uh, like yeah. I feel like yeah. I feel like you I feel like that would yeah. lead you to quit drinking you're, pretty you're, much immediately. You're right because I'm thinking of the things that that could be. And yeah, <laughs> I, I wouldn't want that's yeah. good incentive to not. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I still get drunk pretty regularly, and Cody's seen me at my bottom of yeah, a trash can. Well, I was say yeah, you uh, you got so drunk you threw yourself in the trash. Yeah, I knew where I belonged. A, where you belong. We will talk on this podcast, but let's let's wait till we haven't already rambled way too long because I want to do it justice. Yeah, right, right. So uh, the story did not end all that well for Rose. Unfortunately, she died a few years later after choking on a plastic bag. Which I'm guessing I, I'm I'm hoping that's not how goats commit suicide because like. I mean, she just, the poor girl did not deserve any of this. None of this is her fault. Oh, God. I did not want to laugh at that. I didn't know well, where that sense was going, and I started preemptively laughing, and then it got sad. Oh, yeah. No, she, ch she choked on a plastic bag. I, I still think it might have been goat suicide, because she was, I mean, look at this from her perspective. You know, she doesn't deserve this. She doesn't want to be known as the goat who had to get married to a guy because, well, you know, like, uh, if there's one thing I want you to take away from this podcast is that we need to stop slut shaming goats, I think, is is the number one mission uh, yeah. of this podcast. I, I also, I think that's another example of how we got to stop polluting the earth. A, a man, a husband lost his goat wife because because yeah. somebody didn't have the good sense to recycle. And that's tragic in my It's eyes. just, it's an absolute tragedy. Yeah, I hope at some also, point. Yeah, the the goat slut shaming bot. Don't even get me started on that metal band goat whore. I just can't even. Hey, my, I, my friend's that. band opened for goat whore once. I hope at some point our well, podcast gets. Shamed. Yeah. I hope our podcast gets big enough that we can have merch, and our first shirt just says "Stop Goat Slut Shaming." That's right. <laughs> We've that's got right. one in the can. All that's right. our that's our cause from here on out. So this was reported in the news when Rose died. Like, the outlets that had picked up on the story originally shared the update. Um, everyone says her quote-unquote husband declined to comment, which I would too, I guess. Yes. I mean, what what do you say about that? <laughs> you, can't, you can't really be, like, jokey about it. You can't be like, yeah, she was a good wife, except for all the bleeding. Am I right, fellas? <laughs> But yeah, actually, and that's exactly I, I why. Goat and it ruined my whole life. <laughs> yeah, so Tome is presumably still alive. He hasn't been in any kind of legal trouble since. Um, so I guess if he's still, you know, engaging in barnyard shenanigans, he's at least a little more discreet about it. 
But uh, yeah, that just very briefly is the uh, short but apparently very happy life of Charles Tome. And uh, to this day, if you go to the South Sudan and you bleat like a sheep in the middle of the night, you can still hear, hear him calling out for his lost love, Rose. <laughs> and I'll, I'll just put that, I'll, I'll throw this out there, Charles Tome. If you're out there and you're listening, our email is here. Uh, here's a mailbox at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Bro, you did this to yourself. Don't even think about getting pissy, okay? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you fuck a goat, you just whatever happens after that happens after that, you know? Yeah, there's there's a that's a turning point in one's life, whether anyone sees it or not. I think, I think even if you don't get caught, you're still walking around as you know, knowing that you're a guy who fucked a goat. Like yeah, that's yeah, you that don't leave. Would end it for me right there. You don't leave that barn the same way that you walked in. And you could never no. be mad at anyone for calling you out. Like you, you will always be goat fucker. And at no point can you be mad that somebody calls you goat fucker. It's a permanent trump card over you. Like, can you imagine <laughs> yeah, like well, trying to? I just... Can you imagine trying to talk shit at, to a guy like at a bar? <laughs> right. Like, oh look, man, I'm just, I'm just saying, I don't think the Mets team is gonna make it very far this year. Shut up, goat fucker. What do you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. and, and you, just, you lost. You lost already. She was my wife. Oh my, I bet that guy hates playing Never Have I Ever. Yeah. Because <laughs> everyone can get him instantly. It's just targeting, it's bullshit. <laughs> really? Really, Tim, you've never fucked a goat? Really, Tim? Really? You've never fucked a goat? I'm the only one here that fucked a goat? Uh, we were just a couple of stupid kids. <laughs> like anyone's never been young before. <laughs> All right. So, I guess that brings us to my big question for the two of you. If you got famous for something you did while blackout drunk, what do you think it would be? And this doesn't have to be something you've actually done, just something you envision yourself doing while blackout drunk that could make you famous. Oh, boy. Um, I could see myself, like... um getting so drunk that i decide to attempt like uh uh an act of eco-terrorism or and like or like try to like drive my car into something um uh yeah some kind of act of like eco-terrorism and then just like getting stuck and and it's like a huge rescue effort to try and get me out i think it would be something like that like trying to do trying to make a point in and absolutely humiliating myself in the process see I would imagine for you it would be trying to train Freddy as an attack cat and set him <laughs> loose in like Josh Hawley's office or something. Yeah. I know that's a lost cause. I mean, even yeah, he would just rub all over everybody. That's true. He's a good boy. He's a very good boy. I don't know where he went. He was he was just up here licking his nuts a little while ago. Same. For me, I drunk me has one goal in mind, and it's always food based, first and foremost. So it would probably be me, like, drunkenly, like, breaking in to, like, an IHOP because I, like, passed it on the way home. And I'd be like, I could really go for some fucking pancakes right now. <laughs> and, like, the IHOP, IHOP would be open, but I would be like, I've got to break in somehow. And I would, like, jump through a window to try to get some pancakes or some shit. See, I was just imagining, like, the IHOP being closed because it's 4.30 in the morning and they just catch you in the kitchen making pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, why are you here? I'm like, why the fuck are you here? We both want pancakes. Yeah. <laughs> Set up and grab a plate. Let's go. Is that not what you're here for? 
Yeah, it was, but you weren't supposed <laughs> to know. Look, it's my turn to break into IHOP and make pancakes at 4 30 in the morning. You know this, we have a schedule, respect it. <laughs> All right. Good an- good answers both. I think fairly accurate both. Yeah. Because um... Jack, yeah, the, the food thing kind of factors into the trash can store. I promise yeah. we will tell that on the pod soon because that is a fantastic yeah. story. Now that we, we got through the uh, Jack getting thrown out of the pageant story, that's the next uh, Jack story that we're going to tease for a rainy day. Yeah, it's a great topic, and I, I, before we go any further, I, I want to say, I think we've reached another uh, landmark in the history of our show, something I've been waiting for for a long time. I think this is our first true psycho episode. <laughs> we are, we're, yeah. we're heading down that, we're, we're down that path uh, wholeheartedly, and I know what the next two <laughs> topics are, and I, can, I feel very strongly that, that that is going to continue. So with that being said, Jack is up next. Jack, yes. who is your guy this week? So I have Jonathan Vargas. Jonathan Vargas, um, you most likely do not know him. Jonathan Vargas was very first famously known for winning a Mega Millions jackpot. So Jonathan Vargas, I think at the time he won it, was the youngest. I don't know if that still holds up, but he won $35 million when he was 19 years old in the Mega Millions. Holy fuck. Yeah. So, Some so guys Jonathan, have all the luck. Must be nice. So Jonathan Vargas gets $35 million at the age of 19. Uh, he said in interviews later that he picked the Powerball based on just the ages of his family, which is a little cliche, but I guess it fucking works. <laughs> I mean, there's really, so, is there really any strategy? It stupid till it works. Is there really any strategy for the Powerball that is better than the next? I think by design there really I mean, isn't. Yeah. Right. Are you you gonna tell him that's dumb after he won thirty five million dollars? Because right. that is the definition of fuck you money. Right. So so let's say so you're nineteen. You get you get fuck you like fuck you. I'm doing whatever I want money. Cody, what's the first thing you're gonna do with thirty five million dollars? Um, honestly, me at nineteen. Yes, nineteen year old Cody. What's he doing with thirty five million dollars? Um, he is buying a professional sports team and running it into the ground. <laughs> that's that's pretty pretty uh, pretty fair. Alex, what are you gonna do with thirty five million dollars? Oh, I'd probably do some because this was like us around. This 19. is two thousand ten. This was two thousand ten. So us around nineteen was around the the same age as that that first concert story we said probably like buying a concert venue just to get bands to come and play and hang out with me <laughs> that's fair so so jonathan vargas kind of does a little bit of what both of you did he takes only a half a million of this which will become evident later but he takes half a million of this and he ends up uh funding and producing with the help of two people uh with johnny caffarella and with jimmy hart <laughs> He ends up creating his own wrestling promotion. This wrestling nice. promotion is called Wrestlelicious. Uh-huh. Wrestlelicious is an. I'm all- just picturing like, I'm just picturing the Fergalicious video, but with a bunch of professional wrestlers. Yeah, I'm You're picturing not- like, I'm, I'm picturing some of like like, the Blue Meanie and Balls Mahoney. <laughs> So, Wrestlelicious is an all-female wrestling promotion, which was which is not a first. Uh, it was inspired based on the likes of Glow mm-hmm. or uh, Wow. Uh, there's a lot of there's a, actually a really huge prestige, not prestige because a lot of them are shit. 
a very huge lineage of all female wrestling promotions. This is nothing out of the ordinary. Uh, around this time, women's wrestling outside of the United States was growing a lot of popularity. Uh, promotions like Shimmer and other like all uh, wrestling promotions for or, sorry, all female wrestling promotions in Japan are gaining a lot of traction. This is like Shimmer that... and Nerd Boner, and I just hit puberty, and all kinds of fun. It's a it's a long history there. So so I said I said Glow previously, which is one of the main inspirations for this. Uh, Glow was actually an acronym. Cody, would you like to guess what Glow stands for? Hmm. So it, how's it spelled? Just like the word G L O W. Yes. G L O W. Good loving on women. <laughs> if there was a porn parody. <laughs> oh, oh I like that. This is the most blatantly <laughs> objectifying, sexualized thing I can imagine. So. <laughs> that's, that's, our, that's our second shirt. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Glow stands for gorgeous ladies of wrestling. That's not any better than what I said. That's Which is why it was so thing. fucking funny for just how almost on brand you were with it. <laughs> so, so Jonathan Vargas with his his business partner, so again, was, uh, Jimmy Hart was one of like, I assume he had a, 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 a in the production and everything. There's really not much about glow except for what everyone saw which is just absurd so um okay. he ends up getting a tv deal with dish network which is just insane because he really has no background as to why this should work so he ends up getting um like ends up able to produce 13 episodes they're about 30 minute uh run episodes uh 20 minute minus commercials and advertisements but he ends up putting out a essentially like six hours worth of produced wrestling content. And this is happening in uh, mid to late 2010. And it is bad wrestling. A lot <laughs> of the women are either unframed or newly framed or just not wrestlers at all. Uh, some are models. Basically, it's just women being paid by a 19-year-old. So I'm imagining if supermodels got into a wrestling ring and were untrained, they'd all die because their bones would snap on contact. None of those girls weighs more than 70 pounds. And none of them have eaten in 10 years. They've lived on cocaine and cigarettes entirely for a decade and a half. It's 2010, so they're probably 110 pounds, but everything else is accurate still. I mean, but... yeah. But yeah, so so some of these women are legitimate uh, professional wrestlers. Uh, you have people uh, who actually got their start in it, uh, like Leva Bates, who is actually a part of AEW now. She had the persona as the librarian. She was also uh, on the independent scene known as Blue Pants. The I'm familiar Wait, with her. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yes, yeah, so back back. I was gonna ask you about the librarian, and then you said Blue Pants. Yes. Yeah. I'm gonna need some clarification on that second one. Her whole thing is just like leaning super hard into bits, going like really like the, ironic, like over the top, like like hokey, like on purpose, sort of. Yeah. Blue pants sounds like a fucking Mad Lib, though. Like, what <laughs> it, is it? Just that you wear blue pants and you're super into that, or are you a Smurf, or what's going on? 
So if I remember correctly, and I didn't research this, but I'm pretty sure I had this correctly, she wore blue pants, and people just chanted blue pants at her, and they just kind of stuck, if I remember correctly on that. Well, I mean, yeah. yeah if, well, if she yeah. hadn't worn blue pants and her name had been blue pants, that would have been really stupid, wouldn't it? Honestly, wrestling crowds aren't the most creative. They just kind of are very on surface level. Like apparently, point wrestlers aren't very creative either, because like blue pants. Yeah, but you also have uh, wrestlers like Daphne, who was uh, a very prominent um, uh, wrestler as well in TNA and Impact. You also had um, Layla Malani. You had Layla Milani, who was actually her first appearance before this. She was a deal or no deal girl. Uh, that was her big thing. She ended up being a host uh, for the show, but she was basically just famous for being attractive on deal or no deal before this. Nice. See, see, nice see, work you, got, if you can get it. See, see you got some heavy stuff. Sorry, can I just say? So, yes. When was deal or no, that period of time that like deal or no deal was out? There was some kind of cultural black hole during that period because there were so many things that were absolutely massive at the time and are like completely forgotten and now. No deal or no deal was like the biggest TV show in the world for a little yeah. period. And nobody yeah. thinks about it ever now. Right. It, so it's, her, it's like the, the TV version time... of Avatar, you know. <laughs> the yeah. only the only time anybody thinks about it is when somebody remembers something weird about Howie Mandel. Like that's it. Yeah. He's a guy. Like, he wouldn't let you touch him. He's a super germaphobe. Oh, yeah, he was on Deal or No Deal. Yeah. <laughs> that was a thing. It's it's always funny to look back and be like, oh, yeah, remember when everyone used to watch Cash Cab and now no one remembers that it exists? Like, those kind of shows where just like, everyone uh, somehow knew that they existed. Shout out a vastly underrated stand-up comic, Ben Bailey. Yes. Yeah, so... Uh... So Layla Milani was on Deal or No Deal from 2005 to 2009, and then immediately gets her big moment in Wrestlelicious. Uh, so like I said, it went for 13 episodes. The very first episode that I watched, I watched a lot of Wrestlelicious, and it's, I'm not going to bore you with the details, but one of my favorite details, the very first episode was sponsored by a brewing, a brewing company named Horny Goat Brewing. Which okay, just seems... so I've heard of I've heard of horny goat weed, but never horny goat beer. I guess horny goats are extending uh, their hooves into all all kinds of decadence. Sadly, from everything I've ever seen, horny goat brewing is pretty much shut down and has been for like six years now. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure the FDA saw the name and was like, "No, I don't give a fuck what's actually in it. I don't trust any of you. Yeah. Was We're not the, letting you put this in people's in people's mouths. Was the just the, not gonna happen? Was that brewery started by Charles Tome? Falsely <laughs> themed this episode somehow. It is fucking embarrassing. It is fucking embarrassing that you made that joke before I did because I just talked about that son of a bitch for like twenty minutes. Also, let me just say, horny uh, goat weed. Another thing from that era that fell off. Um, yeah, I remember at a time, um, me and my buddies. Um, we were in high school, and we drove down to a Golden Corral to try and see if we could eat so much they'd kick us out. The answer is no, first of all. And then on the way back, we got some horny goat weed at a gas station, tried to, uh, <laughs> tried to like somehow cut open the little pill and put it in one of our friend's drinks and make him horny without him knowing. <laughs> it didn't work. He got, he got me back later by trying to poison me at a party by putting expired laxatives in a Coors Light. Oh, also didn't Christ. work. I got sick, but that's just because I drank too much. I uh 
Oh my god, I the thing that uh, Horny Goat Reed uh, reminds me of the most is it was prominently featured in a scene in the movie Miss March, which starred Trevor Moore. That's right. Oh, Trevor Jesus, Moore. yeah. That's right. Yet another thing from that era <laughs> that didn't so, drop off. Why does Kids You Know yeah. still holds up perfectly well? So this wrestling promotion, who's essentially been uh, created by a 19-year-old, Jonathan Vargas, who as an on-screen persona goes by the name J.V. Rich. Sure. Which lacks all subtlety, uh, which we'll later soon find out. It Because it's made by a 19-year-old, uh, and there's a lot of uh, very attractive, essentially, models on this, uh, every episode has this thing called a spotlight segment, where it's literally just like slow-motion bikini shoots of like women at the beach. So it's Baywatch. It, the more the episodes are produced, the more and more low-budget porno it looks. Uh, there's these background skits where, like, some of them like take one of them took place in a doctor's office. One was a pizza guy. <laughs> one was a, a plumber. There's a like, pool boy involved. Yeah. It it had like all of these like dumb nineteen-year-old male fantasy like esque situations. But then the entire production is just fifth fucked with really shitty puns that are even bad for me to listen to. Mr. Cabbage Henry himself has a problem say, with puns. Mr. Cabbage Henry. You have Cabbage Henry and Dick's demeanor fame. Judging other people I, on puns, it must be very bad. So, one of the very first joke, jokes that this show produces, they're in that doctor's office. And one of the female wrestlers, she goes, um, Doctor, I, I think I need glasses. And the oh, doctor, no. who, who is wearing glasses, says, well, I don't believe in glasses. And he, like, fucking moves his glasses while saying this whole sentence to make you understand that he's wearing glasses. And she goes, no, what do you mean? And he goes, I drink straight from the bottle. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay, that is just a step above having her say doc it hurts when i do that yeah, I and gonna... saying, well don't do that i was saying that's like that's like below a fucking hee-haw joke <laughs> yeah that, that's the whole premise <laughs> of this show it's bad sexual innuendo and bad fucking like like the like 101 joke book joke oh, okay God. how did we never get drunk and watch this in college because this sounds like everything we love I, I legitimately I want to I want to make a drinking game and if you're at home and you want to do this, every time like so you can find all of this on YouTube. Uh, if you just type "Restalicious" and then episode one, you'll find an entire playlist of all thirteen episodes. You can watch the entirety. Oh, I watched. My God. I watched about well, half of it. The rest and, of my night show. And so you can like I drink every time you cringe and you'll drink every thirty seconds. Uh, another great joke that I, I had to write down because it's so fucking bad so uh this this wrestling promotion has three separate country girl personas essentially Ugh. and uh yeah usually wrestling promotions will have one this one had fucking three which is great and they they lead in and they're, they're basically talking about her and about how she how she milks cows and i wrote this down word for word so i could make sure that i said this properly She's always milking cows, and whenever she walks by, you can smell the dairy air. Oh. Uh, oh. Folks, I really wish you could see the looks on our faces right now. 
this is even beneath us. Yeah, this is. Even, I'm a little ashamed that you so, put that in a recorded media. Even I hate this. this. So, I want to pull back the curtain slightly before we started, and and we were just like I first jumped on the call. What Jack described to me is that how that this promotion was was that it was so bad it's not even good bad, and so far it has lived up to that billing because <laughs> that is or lived down. Yeah. That is really something. Yeah. Um, just a couple more notes about about Wrestlelicious, and then I can get to my last ending point. Uh, they filmed this in front of about fifty to seventy five people. There's one side of bleachers and nothing else. Uh, everything else is like a pure black void, which makes me think they filmed this actually in purgatory, and everyone was suffering through it. <laughs> but what's great is they they did they did what's called a piped in crowd, where they they put in a backing track of cheers and boos to like accentuate the fact that it's made for TV consumption, but there's not a TV audience there. But it's so blatantly bad and obvious. Like you can watch people just motionly, motionlessly sitting there and the crowd is fucking raucous. Or people are just <laughs> like just sitting there kind of being like, this woman's an asshole. But the crowd is just booing her like she just like Herb stomped a pumpy. Like it is, it is blatantly obvious that they're sweetening and like hyping in the crowd, and it just, it makes it even funnier. They put in laugh tracks for all the really shitty pun jokes. So after the uh, the I don't believe in glasses, I drink from the bottle. There's a laugh track, which makes everything infinitely better. So it's like the <laughs> Flintstones. Yes. Yeah. Um. And and lastly, uh, and I said this this promotion uh, took a lot of great inspiration from the show Glow, which does a musical number to kind of like explain all the women and their personas and their beliefs and why they're really wrestling and doing everything. And Wrestlelicious has a three-minute, uh, I guess you can call it a rap song. It rhymes and it's <laughs> up-tempo and it's shit. But you Anything... can listen to it. Oh my god. Anything that you can describe as I guess you can call it a rap song, count me Yeah. Down. I'm down. Yes, we're we're gonna listen like to it afterwards. Type shit. It, it it honestly, it's it's inspired by that uh, Wrestle Rock Rumble Super Bowl Shuffle. All of those. This is definitely the inspiration for it. <laughs> the Super Bowl uh, Shuffle. Pause. Pause this podcast and go listen to that three minutes, and then come back. And isn't that the shittiest fucking thing you've ever heard? But you can't stop listening. Um, so it it breaks down a lot of the women. Uh, I'll I'll say some of their names now. And I'll let you guess uh, what their persona is. We have Bandita. I'm guessing is... Mexican bank robber. Mexican vigilante. Uh huh. Okay. You you have emo Leah, who's just an emo. Yeah. <laughs> um. You have a a convicted felon. Her name is Felony. Felony. <laughs> Felony. That's all they could do with that. Her name what, is Felony. Was it spelled? Was it at least spelled like Melanie with an F, or was it just felony? Just the word felony. This dude won. Christ on a cracker! And, and so this guy, uh, this guy got what? How much did he win in the lottery? He had thirty-six million. And he couldn't hire a writer. This is what his writers gave him. Apparently, he also had oh, God. Uh, a woman who was uh, a woman who was described as being from the islands. Her name is Maui. Maui. So Moana is what we're doing now. Yeah. And then my, the the only champion that ever existed in Wrestlelicious history, 
technically, I guess she's a 10-year reigning champion because she never lost the belt. Uh, her name was Glory, the All-American Hero. So, like Apollo Creed, but a sexy woman in a bikini? But a lot less fucking subtle. And that's the biggest thing about Wrestlelicious, is that the wrestling wasn't good enough to draw on wrestling fans. The the raunchiness wasn't raunchy enough to be fun raunchy. And it, the jokes were all just so surface level that you can't do anything with them. You have a wrestler named Felony. Yeah. It sounds like he started with great ideas and just took them all to the yeah. exact wrong extent. Like, everything he did wasn't bad on paper, but he should have done... He should have either pushed it further or backed way the fuck off. Right, and what what I saw when researching this is like it had like a hee-haw vibe, where it's just like, hey, good, wholesome family fun, but you missed it in both directions. <laughs> So the only... I was going to say, sounds like there's uh, way too many titties for good, wholesome family fun. Right. So, like, they, they weren't titillacious enough. That, like, there wasn't enough sex to sell that. It was just kind of, like, surface level there. And then there was just really shitty puns throughout. And you can't, you can't drive anything with just those two being mediocre pillars in the middle. So the only thing <sighs> I've really ever experienced that can compare to this... Um, so... I don't know if it's still going or not, but um, former governor of Arkansas and presidential candidate Mike Huckabee used to have a talk like variety <laughs> show um, on the Bible God. network. And I've seen some this of it is... because, because um, one of my uh, favorite Twitch streams, the go off Kings used to have a recurring, Shout out go off Kings. Yeah. Used to have a recurring bit where um, they would, they would do, it's called Huck watch, which is where they would watch the comedy segments of Mike Huckabee's variety <laughs> show. Oh no! And you would not believe the things that they attempt to pass at jokes. Like it would, it would confuse you how they would even get there. This is the only thing I've ever heard compare to this. It's like, yeah. like, like, how do they even like? You have to just stop and think. What was the thought process that even led to them thinking this is the best they could do? Yeah. Stunning. So, so Jonathan Vargas, uh, they had advertised that they were renewed for a season two, which was supposed to start in 2011. Uh, that has since never happened. Uh, it either lost funding, Jonathan Vargas pulled all of his money, or everyone said, please fucking stop. But season two, uh, to be determined, uh, hasn't been released. But for all of you Restalicious fans, there is still hope. The Restalicious.com website is still active and live. And you can still... Wow. Look at all of the greatness that Restlicious has to offer through the website. Jonathan Vargas didn't really do much afterwards. There's a YouTube video where he shot like a promo trailer for a really shitty knockoff like Bachelor thing where he like the premise was that his girlfriend was a gold digger and he was like, all right, I'm just going to find new love. And he had 20 women in a house with him, except he was pretending to not be a millionaire and was just giving them all false information onto who he was, and he was going to try to find organic love that way. Uh, but other than that, Jonathan Vargas has just disappeared from the fucking grid. Honestly, it's really hard to find information on him for Restalicious. We can only assume you know, he took the rest of his like $30 million and fucked off to a island with Maui, and hopefully no, he's the, living a good life there. The God's honest truth, when you, you know, ask what I would do if 19-year-old me, or even me now, 
won $35 million? That's probably the honest answer is I'm going to do what Steve Miller said. I'm going to take the money and run. I'm going to take it. I'm going to retire. I'm not going to buy anything extravagant. I'm just going to fucking live the way I want to live on that forever. Right. No, I'm, I'm getting the fuck off the grid, which brings me to my question to you guys. You are given, you can do this at 19 or current day you, you are given $35 million and you can make any project you want on the condition that you know it's going to be shitty. Mm-hmm. And anyone who watches it is going to hate it. What do you make? Ooh. Mm. So you can make whatever you want, but just know that everyone's going to fucking hate it. And you're going to probably end up losing money on it. You're well, not going to get a return say, investment. I would assume say, that anyway. I would say a podcast, but we're doing that for free. Yeah. I would buy the Miami Marlins. Ooh. <laughs> um, the beautiful ballpark um, there. You know, I... No, um, you know, for me, honestly, I think the funniest way this could pan out would be a porn production company. <laughs> and I have no idea like any of the specifics i just feel like if i know it's going down the drain what's the funniest way that could possibly happen let's just turn a bunch of lunatics loose in a porno studio and see what happens (laughs) so my temptation would be wrestling promotion but i will switch it up i want to do like a quasi serious talk show um, because I think a, a, a talk show that sucks so bad that everyone hates it could be really, really funny. I think that's untapped territory. Because what do you okay. have to do to a talk show that will that will make everybody hate it? It has to be really bad. So you're doing like Eric Andre, but you're pr- like pushing it to be like a serious thing, or like showing Eric Andre to like a 50 year old. Is this like an unironic I mean, Eric country? Yeah, you you could ask Jay Leno. I'm sure he could tell you how to do that. Ooh, your hot hot button Jay Leno takes. We got him. You couldn't see it, but after <laughs> that, I just did the the uh, Kobe. Yeah, it's good. Jay I, Leno I thought slam. about doing Steph Curry, where I do the Kobe, then just turn around and hold up three fingers. Don't even watch <laughs> it go in. But uh, Jay Leno, I exactly. no, that's the that's the Nick Young. That's the Swaggy P. Ah, uh, that's right. That's right. How could I ever forget about Swaggy P? Talk about a guy. Oh, he may. We may need to talk about Swaggy P someday. Uh, Jay Leno, you're joining the group. You're there with the Easter Bunny. With <laughs> who are the other? Who are the other fictional characters that we decided were great the podcast pumpkin. enemy? Yeah, Great Pumpkin. You're joining the Pantheon. We're calling you out, man. Charles Tome, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure he doesn't like us too much now. Look, so, I'm I'm going on the record saying I'm I'm cool going on the record saying I hate all goat fuckers. Yeah, say so you, fuck, you, fuck you fucked a goat, brother. What do you, what, what do you expect us to do? My you know, DMs are make, open. Let's go. Not make fun of you. <laughs> yeah, we we can do this. Just don't bring your family because I don't feel like fighting fifteen goats. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, two fantastic topics so far, um, and. If you thought that the uh, the goat screwing guy was going to be the grossest topic that we had this week, <laughs> arguably you're you're wrong because of <laughs> what we're just we're about to experience. Um, my guy this week, um, just there's plenty of just total freaks that we're going to talk about on the show, but very few are as proud of it as this man. So that being said, <laughs> here's a guy this week. Uh, Eldon Hoke 
or his uh, his stage name, which I will mostly refer to him as El Duce. Um, El, El Duce means what exactly? I actually don't know. I, I but I, I I'm not sure. <laughs> I should probably look that up. Um, I'm really hoping it's the douche. It's probably something bad, given that the the other stage names of the guys in his band, which we will get to. Do not worry. Um, so El Duce, oh, it means uh, like uh, like the leader or the dictator. So basically okay, the dictator. Gotcha. I thought it was going to be something scatological, which would make sense given how the rest of this is going to go. Um, <clears throat> so Eldon Hoke was a, a late 20th century musician from Seattle. Um, mostly known for being in the, uh, the kind of burgeoning shock rock scene. Um, and this was a man whose whole life essentially was just dedicated to fucking with people. Um, and as we'll see, respect, respect. Ent entirely by accident, his story ends with that in mind in a perfectly fitting way. So Eldon Hoke, his life was kind of screwed up right from the beginning. For one, like, I think. Growing up in Seattle has just got to be kind of tough. I mean, the you know, it's dreary, it's cold, it rains all the time. And I feel like there's something particularly psychologically damaging about when you're growing up in a place that's supposed to be like this bastion of progress and it still just sucks. Um, that's why a lot of musicians from Seattle wind up being so freaking weird. Um, <laughs> yeah. But his... Especially around this time. His upbringing was particularly screwed up. Um, unfortunately, his father was rather abusive at home. And to add to that problem, what he did for a living, what his father did for a living, was literally designing bombs for the Vietnam War. Oh, so Jesus. he lived with a I horrible... You were say his... I thought you were going to say his dad was Bing Crosby. <laughs> um, That's two weeks in a row we've made that joke. Yeah. Well, so I'm going to see if I can slide that into every episode from here on out. It's my favorite origin story for a joke that just never gets fun. So, um, he grew up around, like, the worst possible role model. And it turned him into a massive weirdo. Um, between that and just being in Seattle. So, he, he does love music. Um, when he becomes a teenager, he gets involved in the local Seattle music scene. The first band he actually joins, he wasn't one of the original members, um, a band called The Screamers. Interesting note on them, they were originally called the Tupperwares. Um, they had to change their name because the brand Tupperware sued them. Because as it that turns is out, a 180. Yeah, turns out that is a uh, band, or that is a an actual brand name. Uh, it's not just a colloquial thing. So um, that band didn't stick around very long. And so while he was still in high school, he formed the band that he would be most known for, uh, The Mentors. Uh, he formed it with two of his friends in high school. And they all had stage names because instantly they they were they knew they were going to do go down the shock uh, the shock rock direction, and I mean like true true like synthesis of shock rock. Their whole purpose was just to um, was just to mess with people. So um, Hoke went by El Duce. His friend Eric Carlson. His stage name was Sicky Wife Beater. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and their his other friend um, Steve Broy. His stage name was Dr. Heathen Scum, which I actually like that one. Yeah, that sounds like a, a Guar band member. And I thought Resolicious liked subtlety. Guar, by the way, will be mentioned at a certain point. Oh, yes. 
Um, oh, of course. I mean, so they were pure schlock right from the beginning. I mean, just intentionally as in your face as possible. They cared way more about um, that element of it than um, you know actually being good at music, which is good because they weren't very good at music. <laughs> Um, I listened to a bit of the mentors um, leading up to this, and it's worth noting that their music sucked. It was not good. None of them are particularly competent or good musicians, even setting aside the the subject matter that they would go into, because you knew that that was all a, a bit. But you know, it's it's just not good. You can't really sit down and enjoy it. Um, there were more I'm about picturing... the. They're more about the performance. Very similar to Guar. Like, have you listened to a Guar song? None of them are very good, but like, that's not why. That's not the point of Guar. You know, you no. go to their shows to see some complete insanity. I'm picturing DJ Khaled strumming that acoustic guitar and just hearing that over just the most vile lyrics of all time. You're so not far off. So along those lines, I mean, what really separated them um, from a lot of other shock rockers? early in the days who would go to be bigger would be like, um, so you think about like Frank Zappa, Alice Cooper, you know, like shock rockers like that, who actually had like musical skill and cared about the art form. Like they were trying to shock people, but like there was a point behind it. Even someone like Gigi Allen, who would probably be the, I guess the closest you could compare this to Gigi Allen. For those who don't know, um, he led a band called Gigi Allen and the murder junkies and would just try to put on the most obscene performances he could. He would get, like, naked. He would break glass and cut himself. He would, like, shit all over the stage. Um, he's a guy we may talk about at some point. But um, even he, like, there was a bit of a point to why he was doing it. The mentors were literally just trying to be as provocative as possible and didn't care too much about the music. But that was their whole thing. Um, so... They, uh, yeah, they just purely wanted to get a rise out of people was their whole goal. Um, so their, their public persona, El Duce apparently adored a, like a classic horror movie called Mark of the Devil. And that inspired their public persona, which is the three of them out in public would all wear black executioner's hoods. Um, so that was, was how they, how they would dress. And then they would write their lyrical content was... I mean, really, really heinous. Um, you know, what I thought that this would be when I first considered doing Elden Hoke, I thought I would find a bunch of samples of lyrics from Mentor's songs and go through them. The problem is I read a bunch of lyrics from Mentor's songs, and they're so bad that I don't even really want a record of me saying them. So I, there, it, with one exception of one song that we will get to some of the lyrics later because they, they, they come into play. Um, but I will put it this way. Um, some of the themes that they would very frequently harp on would be um, homophobia, coprophilia, drug abuse, homelessness, STDs, and rape. In fact, they wanted to be called Rape Rock. That, Jesus Christ. Which is just... <laughs> That's just how they were. I mean, they, they really they wanted to be as offensive as they possibly could. I mean, anybody who lives through the 80s knows that rape rock was very much a real thing. They just didn't call it that. Right. So that part of it is really, it's not that, it was just very sophomoric, all of it. And it's that's a big reason why they never got to the same level as a lot of like other shock rockers did is because they just weren't as good. The whole thing wasn't as good. <laughs> 
I will say this, though. They did pull some pretty good pranks. Um, what they would do to get themselves booked for shows, because, um, you know, probably not easy for them to get booked for shows, they would contact venues and pretend to be a KISS cover band. And to sell this, they would just send, like, unmarked KISS cassette tapes and say, this is us. <laughs> like, we... <laughs> Um, and they would get booked for gigs that way. Oh my god. Dude, um, these guys are pretty good. One time, Sound just like the real thing. One time they did fly a little too close to the sun in an incident that would wind up being a prank on everybody involved, including them. Um, they found this, they heard of this venue that they thought was a nightclub. And so what they did, they sent a copy of uh, an album, Deep Purple, live in Japan, and said it was them. It's and they sound, yeah, you sound pretty good. And so they booked them, but they were wrong about something. It was not a nightclub. It was actually a pizza joint. Oh, and, no. and in particular, the day that they were booked happened to be a, a children's birthday party. <laughs> but I mean, their material is what it is. And what's reported <laughs> is that they played one song. And what happened was everybody there gave them $50 and said, please get the hell out of here. See, I feel like in that moment i mean you say the prank was on them but i feel like for them that's more of a jackpot moment <laughs> because i it seems like this is like what it's been leading up to the whole time this is the ultimate version of what they are yeah yeah the, the prank was mostly on everybody else the, the only thing they lost was that they didn't really get a full payday they were just forced to stop after one song um 50 bucks from everybody in the place is not bad yeah well no it's 50 bucks total that's still i mean that's i'm for doing nothing that's more than i make for doing nothing i'm wait, sitting here wait. doing this fucking bullshit for free because did you think each eight-year-old paid him fifty dollars i was thinking the adults but um i know there weren't a whole lot of adults at, at your birthday parties as a kid but that's true, uh, that's true. There were. so el duce loved um keeping a big public presence one of the big things was there was a very, like, like most things that happen on the show, there's a very staged appearance on Jerry Springer where he appeared alongside <laughs> the members of Guar. Um, and Jerry Springer, the whole, the whole gist of the segment was he was taking them to task for um, their, their very questionable content. And as, you know, a couple people who have seen Guar live, there's a lot of questionable content. <laughs> so. Please tell me that Guar was there in full costume and character when they did this. I've not seen this segment, but I guarantee they were, because I don't think they ever appear in public outside of it. Um, we, I should try and hunt down this clip, because I'm sure it's funny. But of course, like like everything on Springer, like the whole point of it was just a guise to like just show trash TV, um, which is where Springer El Duce thrived. Yeah, Springer was the television version of The Mentors, basically. Yeah is just pure straight trash for cheap thrills and that's it on the face of it and fittingly i think el duce did appear multiple times on springer this was just the the most notable of them um through all this they did get enough publicity they signed to death records which is a subsidiary of metal blade which for those of you who don't know is like a very prominent independent uh metal label um, yeah if if something's got a metal blade label on it it's probably a pretty solid release so they I mean, were they do not miss that often so they weren't signed to Metal Blade proper. They were signed to like a subsidiary. And it was through Death Records that they um, released their debut studio LP called You Axed For It. Um, like axe that you chop with. 
um, because they're very clever. That sounds like that. Okay. So I know we're laughing at that, but I think that's actually hilarious. Like one of my favorite bands right now is Ice Nine Kills. That sounds exactly like something they would do. That's what I was Shout out to Ice Nine Kills. That's, that's an Seriously, Ice Nine Kills fan, album. Fantastic, uh, fantastic musicians, great songwriters. Shout out Spencer and the boys. So on the studio, their debut studio LP, you asked for it, featured a song that of all their songs, really the only memorable one, um, would go down in infamy for reasons that I will get to shortly. A song simply titled Golden Shower. <laughs> Wonder what that's about. So before we get to why Golden Shower lived in infamy, um, let's talk about, and I've been looking for an excuse to talk about these people in the 80s, something that was a thing was called the Parents Music Resource Center, the PMRC. Now, for as much for as distasteful as I find the mentors, um, I am not going to pull punches on the PMRC. It was led by Tipper Gore, Al Gore's wife, and several yep. other wives of prominent politicians. Um, in the 1980s, um, political conservatism was huge, um, and a lot of it revolved around this Cough, sort of Reagan, thing. Reagan, cough. Yeah, it, precisely. It was the era of Reagan. This this kind of shit was huge. Um, and they were trying to crack down on things that were subversive under the guise of family values. Um, I will not get on my full soapbox, but I will just say there are a lot of things that happen now that are considered censorship and really are not. In the 80s, this shit was actually happening. Um, so uh, just, a, just a fun fact about the PMRC and Tipper Gore. And what a, a symbol of this she became. The uh, hair metal band Warrant on their album Cherry Pie <laughs> actually included a bonus track called Ode to Tipper Gore, where they just had a super cut of every time they said fuck on tour. <laughs> um, and that was it. Yeah, so if you read, um, I think it's the Wikipedia page for the PMRC, there's an entire subsection of different artists um, who responded to them in certain ways. Um, I'll toss this one out there. One of the all-time great punk songs um, was, as a result, direct response to the PMRC, Mother by Danzig, was about um, censorship through the PMRC. Nice. And so, like, that's kind of the funny thing is, like, so, you know, the best way I can sum them up is the PMRC was this absolute joke of an organization. They loved nothing more than to waste everybody's time. Uh, joyless, humorless busybodies. They wanted to maintain social control over the music scene. Um, so yeah, not great people. Um, and one of their big innovations, um, well, I'll say this, that really, as far as like cracking down on content, content in the music scene, this moment in the mid eighties was pretty unheralded. The only time we've seen something like that similar that i know of was post 9 11 in the bush era um even beyond just like the dixie chicks obviously were like the most famous victims of it but like a ton of songs got banned from the radio for a long time for very stupid reasons the only time cancel culture has ever been a real thing yeah at this point it was completely true um and what i would encourage i'm not going to run through it because it would take a lot of time um but I would encourage you to look up what they considered the filthy 15, um, 15 songs that they highlighted. And it features like, I remember like, I know like Prince, Cindy Lauper, like Twisted Sister is on there. Um, I mean, just the, the, you would not believe how stuffy these people are. 
but one of their their big innovations that they wanted was um so i i assume these still exist today you don't i haven't like bought a physical cd in a long time so i don't know for sure but parental advisory stickers that was yes, a product they're the still PM a real thing they were a product of the pmrc and one of the funny things like in addition to all this great music that was inspired you know retaliating against the pmrc some artists have said like yeah for our style of music getting a parental advisory sticker actually helped business <laughs> so yeah you wouldn't buy a rap album that doesn't have a parental advisory sticker on it you just even when i was a kid you'd never do that because you knew it was going to be trash but early in the day that was like one of their big crusades i don't know this for sure i'm speculating that what they're getting at is that they saw like in the movie industry how like an nc-17 label on a movie was basically a death knell to marketing that movie any movie that got that label would not make money. I think they were thinking the same thing was going to happen in the music industry. Well, what they failed to realize, or failed to recognize, rather, is that while an NC-17 rating does kill it because it doesn't get distribution in main, mainstream theaters, by far the highest grossing movie uh, rating besides PG for the kids' movies is R. Absolutely. And it's not even close. Absolutely. Yeah. So... They came up with this idea. They'd gotten 19 record labels to agree to these stickers. Um, but part of this whole deal was they agreed to hold Senate hearings on what they called porn rock. Um, so a, a bunch of, a bunch of, you know, uh, uh, you know, stuffy losers from Senate, the Senate and the PMRC held these hearings. Um, three musicians came in to testify as opposing witnesses. Um, and it was genuinely three giants from the music scene. Unsurprisingly, one of them was Frank Zappa. Um, oh, love me some Frank Zappa. The second was Dee Snyder. Um, love me some Dee Snyder very, of Twisted Sister fame. The, the third is a little more surprising. John Denver was the third. And I mean, for for I mean, I I cannot imagine a John Denver album with a parental advisory stick it on it sticker on it. I just I can't do it. So as far as like the music industry goes, that was a pretty shrewd move because he was a little more public friendly guy. He's not Frank Zappa. He's not Dee Snyder. And they asked him why. And the reason why was just simply on principle. He said he, he, you know, didn't believe in this kind of crackdown on the music industry that he cared about. And he thought it was wrong. And so he felt obligated to come in and testify about it. So, I mean, credit to John Denver for that. You know? Yeah. You know, this was Coming something. Coming up next, leaving on a fucking jet plane. Everybody get your tits out. <laughs> This was something that was not going to affect him that much, but, like, you know, he came in and he testified anyway. So Zappa was really the lead of the three. He took all of this very, very seriously. Um, his main accusation was that the, the whole hearings and all of this crackdown was just a guy's... Um, it was basically a front for... There is a, a bill in Congress for a blank tape tax, which I don't quite understand the logistics of this, but... Um, essentially said that there are economic reasons why they're actually doing this and that they're they're just hiding behind this other reason. So the hearings were, were you know, they were kind of testy. But things really broke down. Frank Zappa is testifying. And um, some guy who I'm not familiar with named the Reverend Jeff Ling, who is involved in the PMRC, he decides to recite some of the lyrics of the aforementioned mentor's song Golden Shower to Frank Zappa. In particular, this is the line that he read to Frank Zappa. 
Um, these are actual lyrics from the song that I listened to shortly before we started. So there is a, a there are lines from Golden Shower that go, and I quote, Bend up and smell my anal vapor. Your face is my toilet paper. And Frank Zappa, upon hearing this, lost his shit and declared the entire hearings a farce. And to be fair, he was right. I think his whole point was something along the lines like, if you're going to throw that at me, this whole thing is just a joke. You're, we're not here to conduct any serious business anymore. Um, and later on, uh, in a different segment of it, Tipper Gore actually read... Uh, more lyrics from this exact same song, um, which I will quote again. So, you know, Al Gore's wife, Tipper, uh, reads this into a congressional record. Listen, you little slut, do as you are told. Come with daddy for me to pour the gold. All through my excrement, you shall roam. On your face, I leave a shit tower, golden shower. So <laughs> those are lyrics from the mentor's song, Golden Shower, that Eldon Hoke, a.k.a. El Duce, wrote. And are now a part of the congressional record because they read them into it. See, every time I hear that, I just imagine them set to R. Kelly's Trapped in the Closet <laughs> melody. Well, R. Kelly would have liked many elements of those and lyrics, yeah. as we know. So here's the thing. No, do, do you have something, Jack? I was going to say, I feel like at that point, you let the mentors win. They yes. got exactly what the fuck they wanted. Absolutely. That was going to be my next point. The joke was on Congress. The Mentors are a completely irrelevant band. They are not big. They are not popular. They're mostly confined to this Seattle scene. What you have now done is you have gave them notoriety, and their whole point, as I've been saying, is just to shock people and get a rise out of people. Their lyrics that they wrote to be as offensive and pointless as possible are now part of the congressional record. See, they just... won! I, I love I love the image of Frank Zappa losing his mind at the Mentors lyrics because Frank Zappa has a three-album trilogy called Joe's Garage that is some of the filthiest music you will ever yeah. hear in your life. Really, yeah. So, I mean, if you, can, if you can get a rise out of him, you've done your job as an artist, whether you meant it that way or not. And it's especially, you know... A victory for the mentors because again they really did not care about the music industry that much they didn't care about anything you know so the fact that that you know this this terrible thing was being done to the music industry and the whole thing was being you know just a total farce frank zappa was right about that it was a farce um they didn't care about that they got what they wanted they like they wrote stuff that was as offensive as they could come up with and it got read in congress they won so that was that was probably the biggest point for the mentors. But the thing that El Duce is actually known most for came years later in the late 90s. So a pretty obviously a huge event in the music scene in 1994, um Kurt Cobain committed suicide. Um obviously Nirvana and Kurt Cobain, you know, they arose out of the Seattle music scene. Um I don't know that El Duce actually knew Kurt, but he came from the Seattle music scene as well, of course. So Kurt Cobain commits suicide, obviously massive tragedy. You know, Nirvana, one of the biggest bands in the world. Um, so it was massive news. What El Duce does instantly is to try and capitalize off of it. <laughs> he goes around and starts telling a story that, because um, like there are plenty of Kurt Cobain conspiracy theorists. Um, and El Duce 
has played a role in all of this. Because what he instantly started telling people is that he's not the one who killed Kurt, but before this happened, Courtney Love had approached him and offered him money to kill Kurt. Um, these stories were featured, again, on Springer and also in possibly the biggest supermarket tabloid in the U.S., the National Enquirer. So, again, not reputable sources, but they were it was out there. Um, and, you know, he, he just keeps reciting this story, you know, credulous people buy it, people who are wanting to believe any conspiracy <laughs> theory. Um, but where this really takes off, 1997, a filmmaker by the name of Nick Broomfield. And um, to hear a little bit more of the breakdown of, of how, so he, he does a, um, he, he does like a lot of documentaries and stuff. He's like a mildly influential filmmaker just because of his style of filmmaking. He is, but he's not really one of the more reputable ones. I mean, right. we could do a whole thing on Nick Broomfield. Um, a lot of people remember him from, I believe it was the, uh, the set of Eileen Wernos documentaries he did were some of his uh, greatest hits prior to this. Yeah, I think he did also some documentaries on like apartheid South Africa that weren't as big of an issue. Anytime he gets involved in anything conspiracy related, he is not good at it. Like, he, he's more influential at all because of his style. But he seems that, and again, the 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 um, the last podcast on the left guys have a better breakdown of of you know his problems with this area. But he will essentially, you know, will put anything in these documentaries that that he likes. Case in point. He's doing a documentary called Kurt and Courtney about the about Kurt's suicide and everything that went on with that. Because, I mean, there's a lot of weird things that happened. I don't believe the conspiracy, obviously. Um, but, you know, they lived a weird life. Um, and so someone tips him off about this guy, El Duce, who's claiming um, that Courtney Love um, offered to pay him money to kill Kurt and that he knows who actually did it. And <laughs> Nick Broomfield being the apparently credulous man that he is decides, well, that sounds interesting. I'm going to go interview this guy. <laughs> um, and this was the interview that I sent you to, to watch beforehand. So on April 11th, 1997, um, Nick Broomfield goes and interviews <laughs> El Duce in his backyard. El Duce is visibly mildly drunk and in a wife beater. Um, he gets, they get led into his shitty looking backyard and he, like, uh, you know, if he had any knowledge of who El Duce was, you know that this is not true. Because his whole life is a publicity stunt to shock people and to market himself. So he starts talking to this guy he's never met as soon as he walks in. So that should be another sign. He just starts spilling the beans like, yeah, Courtney tried to pay me $50,000 to, and quote, whack Kurt. He says this within, like, <laughs> he says it within 15 seconds of this guy arriving. And he tells the short story, and he hints at a guy named Alan. Like, he, he pretends he lets it slip, like, that Alan was the guy who actually did it. And he says something to the effect, like, well, I'll let the FBI catch him. It's been strongly hinted that Alan is a dude from a band called Kill Alan Wrench, um, who uh, his friend, Dr. Heathen Scum, was a band that, that they were affiliated with. So, essentially, he threw this out there just as a prank on this guy that he knew. Um, so... I mean, that's taking the world of pranks just maybe a touch too yeah. far, I think. 
And but so, yeah, this this is just a part of who El Duce is <laughs> at this point. It seems like like he just yeah. makes shit up. Yeah, he has no limits, and it you know by looking at him, you can tell that this guy is a complete nut. Um, <laughs> like it like towards the interview doesn't last that long. It's only a few minutes, and at the end of it, um, first of all, he says like, "Yeah, buy me some beers. I might keep talking." Um, <laughs> And then he just looks at the camera like there's a pause. He just looks and, and he does like a ah! like a fake like scary thing. Like how how anybody can take this seriously is beyond me. But if you look at the comments of this video on YouTube, there are apparently lots of people who find this all to sound totally credible. And I'm sorry, you just must not know who El Duce is. You know, this is the last. I mean, I know Courtney Love had some problems yes. that might have impaired her judgment. But this is the last guy I would ever hire to commit a crime for me, ever. Right. Because that is the most willing to flip I have ever heard yeah. of anyone being. On one hand, he is a, a complete lunatic. On the other hand, he is probably the least reliable person on planet Earth. Um, so yeah, work that out in your head. And this, this Alan from Kill Alan Wrench is just another like shock metal guy. Um. You know, so in their story, instead of going to, like, a hitman, which Courtney Love, like, would have had access to, she was extremely famous at this point, um, she just tried to, their story is she tried to hit up a couple of the dumbest people in the Seattle music scene to do this for her. I'm willing to give Courtney the benefit of the doubt. I believe that she's somebody who would shop local and, and <laughs> would like to keep this, you know, in, in the neighborhood, if you would. I, I, I believe that she would she would go to El DJ. You know, what happened to the mom and pop hitman? <laughs> right? Like, I mean, it used to be a family business. You knew the hitman. You knew his kids, you know, for obvious reasons. And, you know, it, it just, it was such a friendlier thing before that. You knew who it was you were looking at before you died. Like, there that needs was just... To be some, like... Like a personal nature to it, you want you want to feel connected. You want to know that you can trust your hitman. You don't you don't just want to like flip up in a phone book and and select a name. You got to go to El Duce. So he was able to kind of spin this yarn because he knew enough about the inner mechanics of the Seattle music scene that he could make it sound like something that would actually happen. But again, if you knew who El Duce was, you knew that this was a this was a stunt because all he did was publicity stunts. So that, that interview happened on April 11th of 1997. Fast forward eight days. April 19th, 1997. El Duce is struck and killed by a train. Oh my god. <laughs> El Duce is on a train track. A train going 60 miles per hour strikes him directly, decapitates him, kills him instantly. There was enough of him left that they were able to do a toxicology. They found a high BAC, which because of course... Um, and the official yeah. cause of death from the coroner was in a quote misadventure, <laughs> which he died how he lived. Exactly, being an idiot. There is nothing more fitting to end his life than misadventure because his entire life was a misadventure. Um, Al Jorgensen um, from the uh, legendary industrial metal band Ministry, um, he claims that the version of this was that uh, El Duce heard fans on the other side of the tracks yelling for him and he tried to run across the tracks to uh sign autographs for him or whatever and his foot got stuck and he got killed by the train i think that is you know not true for a whole lot of reasons but yeah it, it goes to show that you know the sort of weird respect he got in certain 
corners of the metal scene. I mean, that is a very Yosemite Sam way to die, and if anyone were to actually die like that, it's probably this guy. Now, yeah. I, I also think it was probably an accident, um, but, you know, I don't think he committed suicide or anything like that, but conspiracy theorists cry foul on this. They find it very suspicious that eight days after he talked about that, you know, how Kurt, you know, Courtney Love offered to, uh, you know, pay him $50,000 to kill Kurt Cobain, he just happened to get killed by a train. And I'll say the same thing. If you are familiar with who Elche Duce was, it makes perfect sense. He's the kind of guy who could get <laughs> struck and killed by a train, uh, drunk on a train tracks at any time. But there are guys who get hit by trains and there are guys who don't get hit by trains. And he was definitely a guy who gets hit by trains. There are differing levels of conspiracy theories about this. Like some people simply think that it was Courtney, but there's some people who think like the CIA was involved. This is linked to MK ultra. <laughs> Those are the p sorts of people who really latched onto this. Um, or some people who think it was Courtney thought like she had him pushed in front of a train and killed. Um, Look, all I'm saying is eight days is a perfect amount of time to learn how to conduct a train. I believe that Courtney was behind the the conductor's seat of that train and killed him. I believe that. I um, mean, even <laughs> if that were true, you can't steer a train. So Courtney Love will find a way. There still would have to be somebody else <laughs> pushing him in front of the train. <laughs> like, That's the magic of trains. They just exist. I, I couldn't track down this exact quote, but I do remember reading somewhere one of the other dudes who was in the mentors with him made a public comment like about the Cobain thing. Like, yeah, he was he was screwing around. Like, the fact that he died was just obviously a coincidence. But anybody knows him knows that he was not being serious about this. Um, but there are still here's the thing with conspiracy theorists. I want to be clear about this, and again, I will not get fully on the soapbox about this. Like. There are certain things that happen in our world that you should be skeptical about um, and keep an open mind about. There are powerful people and institutions who do um, dark and crazy things. But there are also a subset of conspiracy theorists who will believe literally anything that you tell them. The sort of people that will call as you... As long as it's not the official narrative. The sort of people who will ironically call you sheeple will also believe anything, anything to think that they have the real answer to the world. Cobain conspiracy theorists are very much like this, and anybody who believes this story from El Duce is like this, because if you do just a second of reading about El Duce, the guy who wrote Golden Shower was not being serious about this. A criminal mastermind he was not. The, the people he went to with the story were Springer and the National Enquirer. This is not a real story. This was part of a marketing See, like if, if I were trying to spread a story to fuck around that I didn't really necessarily want people to believe, it's just, you know, I'm just doing this to be stupid, those are exactly the two places I would go. So, that's El Duce. I mean, so, it's just interesting. Like, his entire life was spent just messing with people. And by a complete accident, he died in a way that will mess with tons of people making an outlandish conspiracy claim and then getting killed by a train a week later, leaving people <laughs> to forever believe he was being serious. I very much doubt that he wanted to get decapitated by a train on that night. But it, you know, if he knew that this, that people were still going to be talking about it to this day 
and that this was going to be his biggest act, he would probably be at peace with it, just knowing who he was. <laughs> Death is the ultimate prank. You got us. So my final thing on this, I forgot I was going to read some of the other... Because, like, the mentors, I think, still have kind of existed in some capacity. I was going to read some of the other stage names of members of the bands who have, have alternated in and out. Because, um, like, El Duce, Sicky Wife Beater, and um, uh, Dr. Heathen Scum were the original members. Um, they have also had such highlights as Cousin Fister, Jack Shit, <laughs> Papa, <laughs> Papa Sneaky Sperm Shooter, Oh God! Insect on acid, and my favorite of clever. and my favorite of all of them, Moose Dick. <laughs> right to the point. They also have a guy who simply goes by El Chapo. Um, <laughs> that's kind of a ripoff. And so, with all that being said, if you, my big question to the two of you, if you were a member of the Mentors, what would your stage name be? Oh God, um. Mm. I'm I'm struggling with whether to go Bart Simpson with this. Or... <laughs> the thing mm. is, like, there is really no wrong answer because yeah. there's nothing too juvenile or too outrageous for the mentors, as we've seen. Yeah, I I, I gotta go Bart. I if I ever have the chance to be publicly known as Hey, would you blow me? I'm gonna <laughs> do it. So that's my name. Going with Hey, would you blow me? I thought you were gonna go with IP freely. No, I've done that one already on this show. Hey, I can see you as Amanda Hugging Kiss. You and no one else. <laughs> I think I think I'm gonna go the more like this juvenile. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be like Dildo Sword. Like that's that's gonna be my name. Dildo Again, Sword. That's acceptable. They would have they would have <laughs> welcomed you with open arms, both of you. So, that is the uh, gross weird funny in places story of el duce aka elden hoke a true nut um a freak of the highest degree and darn proud of it i'm not saying he is a good guy i'm not saying he's an admirable guy um, all right but he was at times a highly entertaining guy um so uh uh rest in piss to el duce (laughs) as he would want it (laughs) yep yeah and with that, well, I mean, he's on the, he, he died on the train tracks. He probably literally rested in piss for a while. <laughs> uh, so with all that being said, we draw to a conclusion, uh, perhaps the most psycho episode of Here's a Guy to date. And I hope you all enjoyed it as, enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, we will be back next week. Um, I don't think we have any other themed episodes planned coming up. We'll be back in chaos mode. Um so yeah, I hope you enjoyed this. Um, uh, yeah, so l- let's get right to it um, before closing remarks. Uh, Cody, where can the people find you? Uh, check me out on Twitter. I am at sonofgravy42069. And how about you, Jack? What do you want to plug? Uh, so people can find me on Twitch at jackshawnplaysgames, and people can listen to me talk about beer and video games uh, on the podcast Belchcast on Spotify, Apple, and all that good shit. Right on. You can find me on Twitter at Turpin4Prez. That's Turpin, the number four, Prez. Um, make sure to follow the uh, podcast Twitter account at Here's a Guy Pod. And just a reminder, uh, we have a mailbox. Uh, it's Here's a Mailbox at gmail.com. Hit us up if you have any uh, questions, comments, or suggestions. We will consider them. 
Um, we can't promise that we will do them, but we will consider them. Um, you can even heckle us if you want to. You never know. If it's funny enough, we might put it on the show. So, um, once again, thanks to everybody for uh, uh, putting up with us for another week. Uh, hope you had a good time. Um, so, to close things out, Cody, what's your tagline for the week? Um, I'm going to go with something educational. I'm not going to ruin it for you just yet. I'm not going to reveal it till we're ready. All right. That sounds... Oh, wow, that's fascinating. That's quite the lead-in. Uh, all right, well, uh, Jack and I, let's uh, say goodnight to the folks. Good night, folks. And uh, and uh, Cody, as uh, lead us out, hit us with that tagline. See you, folks, and don't fuck goats. An educational message if I've ever heard one. Good night, everybody. <laughs>